0: Good morning. I want to welcome everyone and it's good to be here. And and after studying this topic and studying this lesson, putting this together and reflecting on my life and reflecting on some of the places I've been in my life and places I've worshipped at and just different points I've been in my life, I can definitely say for me emphatically this morning, it is good to be here. And as we continue our series this morning, you'll see the title of my lesson is I'm looking for a church that is alive. And when Ty and Jerry approached me and shared their idea for this series, they asked me, you know, what would you like to talk about? Does anything come to mind when they told me what they were doing? And it didn't take me long to talk with Ty and to come up with the idea that I'm looking for a church that is alive. You know, Christ loved the church so much that he paid for it with his life. So how can we not want to be somewhere where the church is alive? And how can we not want to strive to keep the church alive. You know, the elders were warned to watch out for the church. In Acts 20 and 28, it says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. And he's warning them to look out for the local congregation. He's warning them, look out for us. You know, it's estimated that between 4,000 and 7,000 churches close their doors each year in our country. Think about that, and what does that say about the moral outlook of where we live? And honestly, I'll tell you, that scares me. And you can look around, and you can see it everywhere around you, and sadly, I see it every day at school when I watch some of the moral decisions and the moral standards that the students I'm surrounded by seem to live by. But this is a very personal topic for me, and this morning, I'm going to share some personal experiences and just some personal stories with you, and that's not something I've done a lot of. But I'm going to do that today because I believe that making the decision about where we worship is very, very important. And I believe that attending a church that is alive, if you can, is very, very important. And I personally haven't always taken that as seriously as I do now in my life, I'll be honest with you. And I've seen the effects firsthand of putting where you worship low on your priority list. And it is not good. And I haven't always attended a church that's alive. I've made some decisions about church attendance that weren't the best for me personally. And I've been on the receiving end of some decisions that were kind of out of my control that really weren't the best for me personally as well. I've attended churches that were on life support. I've attended churches that were unhealthy. And I've been fortunate enough to attend churches that were alive. And I've attended eight different congregations in my life on a regular basis, meaning for at least a year And for at least once a week, and I really don't know if that's a lot compared to a lot of people or not, but I do have a few experiences that I can pull from those things. And let me say, this is certainly not meant to be a lesson bashing other congregations or a lesson bashing other people at all. There are wonderful working Christians everywhere, in small congregations and big congregations and struggling congregations and healthy congregations. There are people out there doing the work and evangelizing and working and trying to be the best Christians they can be. So I definitely do not have that is my intent. And I apologize if I step on anyone's toes today as I get into this. And this is definitely not supposed to be a lesson blaming congregations for my mistakes and the decisions I've made in my life. So I'm simply going to try to share a few of the stories I've had and a few of the experiences in my life, how they've affected me, and how they relate to this topic. Because when I think about the different stages in my life when I was growing spiritually or struggling spiritually, or when I was growing in my knowledge and my faith, or when I wasn't studying, I wasn't growing, or when I was just flat out not doing well and not struggling or struggling spiritually, which honestly was a a pretty good chunk of my life, I think. But I see a big correlation to where I was attending worship. So I think it's very important, especially if you are a young Christian especially if you're a newer Christian, especially if you're a family with kids to very seriously consider where you worship. And I believe it's very important if you can to find a church that is alive, that's a church that's gonna support you. You know, when you attend a church that isn't spiritually healthy, what do you think happens to the members after a while? It's difficult. Often they end up not spiritually healthy either. It's a direct reflection. Not to say that, as I said again, there aren't some wonderful people that are at struggling congregations doing great things, and there are. There's people that are tremendous Christians, people that are tremendous workers and evangelists outside of the congregation. But I'm just going to tell some of my stories, and I'm speaking to congregational health this morning. But one thing I want to say, and if you take nothing else from this, I hope you take this, that when you go to college, when you get married, when you take a new job, when you make large life decisions, you better put attending a congregation that will strengthen you and your family at the top of your list as you make those decisions. Because there's nothing more important in life than your spiritual well-being and the spiritual well-being of your kids. Proverbs 22 and 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. And also, no job is worth sacrificing your spiritual life. Mark 8 and 36 says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I haven't always made those best decisions in my life. And I'll be honest, there have been some very negative effects at different times. But as I said, I'm certainly not just blaming those congregations at all. But when I stop and consider it all today, I am genuinely often surprised that I'm still in the church. But fortunately, I'm here now. And I wouldn't take anything back that I think I've done in my life and the places I've been because they got me to the point I'm at in my life right now. And that's sometimes how we have to look at things. And a lot of that is because of the work that was at churches that were alive, that I've attended, and some of the people there. Excuse me. Now, when you go looking for a church that is alive, what are you looking for? Because churches can hide behind a lot of things, and it's easy to get confused, it's easy to get misled, it's difficult sometimes. Churches can be alive, churches can be sick or unhealthy, and churches can be on life sport or dying. And I feel like I've attended all three. So, how can you tell if a church is alive or not? I'll tell you a couple things it's not. I don't think that it's necessarily a beautiful building with artwork and a fountain out front. I don't think it's necessarily a calendar loaded up with the activities, with an agenda for all ages. I don't think it's necessarily an incredible worship team or amazing singers, and I don't think it's necessarily a building full of people or an awesome AV system, because you can have all those things and still miss the mark, and not that there's anything wrong with any of those things by any means. In fact, most of, I mean, those are good things if you have them, but that doesn't necessarily indicate a church that is alive, because, you know, the first century church they didn't even have a building to meet in, did they? Acts two forty two says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. And we take a moment, we look at that, and how those words continue in steadfastly. What does that mean? A dutifully firm and unwavering manner. So it's saying they continued in a dutifully firm and unwavering manner in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. See, they were alive. They were praying together. They were studying together. They were fellowshipping together. They were communing together. And they didn't have a beautiful building. And they certainly did not have an AV system. I'll tell you that. But they were alive. So how can we tell? Because it's not always easy. There's a bunch of scripture. There's not a bunch of scripture specifically outlining a church that is alive. But I'll tell you this. What I did find in the Bible and studying is that the Bible does warn against a church being dead. Revelations 3 and 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write... These things, says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. He's saying, You've got a reputation for being alive. You look like you're alive, but I know that you're actually dead. And sadly, I feel that there may be a lot of churches like that out in the world today. They seem alive on the surface, but in reality, we know that they're sick or they're on life support, they're not very healthy. And we don't want to be a church like that, and I don't think we want to attend a church like that, maybe one that hides behind a beautiful building or wonderful singers, because honestly, we have those things here. We have a beautiful building, and we have amazing singers. We got to be more than that. We want to make sure that we are alive. So how can we tell if a church is alive? Well, first and foremost, I'll tell you, a church that is alive has Christ as its head. And I want to make that very clear before I get into too much of the personal things. Ephesians 1 and 22 says, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Ephesians 5 and 23 says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the savior of the body. Any church that is alive has Christ as its head and any church we attend better have Christ as its head. And I just want to mention that now, and and that is a given to me, but that is not the direction I'm necessarily heading specifically in today's lesson, but I want to get that out of the way. I believe that that idea is going to be pretty clearly conveyed, or is in some of our other lessons. We talk about truth. We talk about equipping the saints. We talk about evangelizing. That's not necessarily the intention of my topic when I say I want a church that's alive or I'm looking for a church that's alive. So when I began to think about this, I thought, what do we look at to determine if something is alive? And I thought, well, if I collapsed up here on the stage right now and EMTs rushed in or Craig ran up here and started looking at me, what would he look at to determine if I was alive? And I think the first thing he would look at is probably a pulse and a heartbeat. And he would look to see if I was breathing. And then they might take me to the hospital and if I wasn't reacting, they would probably check my brain function. And I thought beyond that, okay, what else does a healthy living creature, a healthy living being do? Well, I think that something that's healthy grows And I think that it interacts with its environment. So there's four points that I want to talk about today in comparison to a church that is alive. And those things are a church that is alive, has a heartbeat and is breathing. A church that is alive has brain function. A church that is alive grows. And a church that is alive interacts with its environment. So first, talking about heartbeat and breathing. What is the heartbeat of a church. I want us to think about that, because remember, the heartbeat is the first thing that they're going to check if I collapse up here on the stage today, which hopefully I won't. But it's the first thing that people really look at, I think. So when we consider that. I think that the heartbeat of the church can only be one thing, and I think that that is the members. I believe that the members are the heartbeat. The heartbeat makes the blood flow. It takes the oxygen to the brain. It needs to be steady and beating. It needs to be consistent. It needs to have a strong rhythm, and it needs to be something that you can always count on. The heartbeat never stops or takes a break. And if it does, something bad happens. Now, sure enough, it does get to slow down. It does get to rest at times during the night. But it never stops as long as it's healthy. And it works to keep everything else going. It engages the entire body. And to me, that is the members. Church Us Alive needs spiritually engaged members, not just engaged members. Spiritually engaged members, members that are steady and can be counted on. You got to have members that are committed to doing God's will, to following Christ as best they can to their abilities. Members focused on studying God's word, members focused on following God's word and learning it and holding it in their hearts. Because you can have the prettiest building in the world, you can have a beautiful setup, an A B system, but if the members are not spiritually engaged, then it is not working. You know, and sometimes you see a situation where there's one elder left and these guys trying to hold things together or there's one family that's there and they are doing all the work, but they cannot keep that up for long. That is difficult and it weighs on them and it's sad also, because we can see that out there a lot. We see that situation a lot. And years ago, I used to drive to a church and preach several times a year and it was about a two-hour drive and I would arrive and the membership would, they would kind of shuffle in and usually they were a little bit late And we would have a quiet service, and they had one or two people who were participating in that worship service and helping out and taking care of things. And everyone would leave, and they would thank me, and they would go back home. And I applaud those people, honestly, for that situation that they were in, keeping the doors open and striving to have a worship service and giving those people a place to worship. But I just don't know how long they can handle something like that, how long they can keep that going, because that is difficult. And I don't think, ideally, that's the way the church is designed to run. First Corinthians 12, beginning in verse 14, says, For in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not of the body? If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? 12 verse 27 says, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. That's what we want. We want a church where members are striving to find their gifts and to use them for the work of the kingdom and for the work of the church. We are to support each other. We are to encourage each other. We are to pray for each other and we are to serve each other. Romans 12 and 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And another idea, Hebrews 13 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief for that would be unprofitable for you. So the members not only support each other, but they listen to and they work with the elders because the elders cannot do everything on their own because the members are the heartbeat. And I remember toward the end of my dad's life, which hasn't been that long ago, but you know, the problem was his heart, it just was not strong enough. And it couldn't even beat at half strength. And you know, you can't go on that way for very long. It's very difficult because the heartbeat affects everything. It affects the breathing, which in turn takes oxygen to the brain. And, you know, looking with him, spending time with him, he got to where, you know, his breathing was was very weak and he wasn't getting enough oxygen to the brain and his personality changed and he wasn't able to make very good decisions and he was confused often. And eventually he couldn't stay on that way and it ended. And the thing is, the church can't function without a strong heartbeat either. And the leaders can plan and work all day and build a beautiful building and teach. But if the members aren't spiritually engaged, it's just going to get more and more and more difficult and eventually it's going to fail too. But as I was talking about, you know, the heartbeat affects the breathing. And when you have heart failure, you get shortness of breath and you get tired and it just gets more and more difficult. So when the heartbeat of a church is weak, the members aren't spiritually engaged. What does it look like for the breathing of a church? Because if you notice, I put these two together because I think they go hand in hand because the breathing is the physical manifestation of the heartbeat. So what does that look like? What does that look like in a church that's alive? What does that look like in a church that is struggling? I attended a congregation for a while, years ago, and when I was there, I was embarrassed to sing because I sing loud and I really have to because if I don't, I can't hear myself and I'm even more out of pitch than I am now when I sing loud. So it's a struggle for me not to But there, when I sang at my normal, kind of loud level, I was the loudest person in the entire congregation. I was louder than all of them put together, and I'm not exaggerating. And this was not 10 people. This was 50 people. But it was so quiet that I was embarrassed to sing. No one sang out. And I don't know anyone's intent there. I don't know what they were thinking. But it sure seemed to me as their hearts just weren't in it. So how do you think that made me feel during the service? I was much younger. I wasn't very confident. But I'll tell you one thing, it certainly didn't help to engage me. It didn't uplift me, it didn't encourage me, and it didn't feel like we were praising God. Honestly, I felt like we were doing something because it was required on a checklist of things to do. Ephesians 5 and 19 says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. But the thing was, when I was there, I didn't feel like I was doing anything to the Lord when I was singing there. And I attended another congregation for a while, and they didn't have a lot of people that could read music. They didn't have a lot of people that understood shape notes or really knew much about music or singing at all. And honestly, i would tell you, everything crawled along at a snail's pace. That was a little challenging. But I tell you what, though, they sang loud and they sang with enthusiasm and they wanted to learn new songs and they wanted to improve and they weren't great. But man, they tried and they wanted to grow in their song worship to the Lord. And they let me even who didn't, I felt like I didn't know a thing, but they wanted me to do some singing instruction. I did a little bit. And that, for me, if you know me, was very struggle. It was a struggle for me, as I'll talk about later, but I did it. But that benefited me as well, and that spiritually strengthened me, and it uplifted me. And that was a church, that was a congregation where the heartbeat was getting stronger at the time. And here we are, blessed to have lots of wonderful singers, naturally talented individuals who also know a lot about music. But there's also a lot of us normal human singers in the audience as well. But I'll tell you this. Here, I cannot help but sing out, and I pay attention to the message, and and this is, I pay attention to the message so much more here when I'm engaged listening to singing than I ever have in my entire life, and I feel the music, and it feels like worship to the Lord, and I know we can't get too caught up in our feelings, and that's not what it's all about, but it does feel alive to me. And the thing is yeah I I've, I've never teared up during a song service at a church my whole life but in the last year since I've been here I have several times. I attended a congregation for several years and you know we met three times a week we were a large size larger size but you know what else we did together was nothing. Nothing. There were not any organized studies at members' homes there were not any fellowship activities occasionally we would have lunch at the building. But in all the years I was there, I only went to somebody else's house, I think, twice. And that's partly my fault, honestly. I was being part of the problem instead of being part of the solution, and that's something we always have to consider in our lives and in our walk. But if I missed a service, no one ever checked on me. So in in return, I did not develop any strong bonds or strong relationships with the membership. So you know what I did instead? I developed relationships and bonds with people outside of the church. I made friends with other people, which I'll tell you right now, did not help at all my spiritual life. And in fact, over the years, my regular attendance at that church just kind of gradually declined and I wasn't growing spiritually and I went from going three times a week to twice a week to one in three quarters maybe and other things, work and whatever else came along would, would get in the way and I wouldn't go. And I've also attended several congregations that had calendars full of activities. Members fellowship together. Members studied together. Activities are attended, and relationships have the opportunity to develop. But I do want to remember one thing Revelations 2 and 4. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. Or else I'll come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of this place, except thou repent. So we just always make sure we remember. Our first love and why we participate in these things because we can't just do it to be socially seen we can't do it because we feel pressured to be there we need to do it out of a love for god's people in our work for the kingdom we need to have the right heart and the right mindset Colossians 3 and 17 says and whatever you do in word or deed do all in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to the god to god the father through him when i first started here full-time It was a big adjustment for me. Um, In some ways, embarrassingly enough, it was even a little scary. It was a little difficult at first kind of finding my place because there are not a lot of single 40-year-olds without kids attending if you look around. Um, So at first, I wasn't sure where to fit in. I wasn't sure how to build relationships. But because of all the lunches, because of the gospel meetings, because of the men's breakfasts, because of the fellowship events, because of the activities, The opportunity was there if I would just put forth a little bit of effort. And I did, and now I have a church family, and I understand what that really means. And then I began to see how everyone worked. When you see families hosting events, and you see everyone working and chipping in their part to prepare communion, to fix the sign. Men are preparing sermons. People are studying. They're taking out the trash. They're greeting visitors, and they're all doing it together. I saw the heartbeat of a congregation taking deep breaths. And it strengthened me, and it in turn motivated me to do so much more and at the same time made me feel bad for years of wasted neglected time. But we can't focus on that. We focus on the here and now and do what we can. But looking at that leads me to my next point. And don't worry, that was my longest point, that first one. <laughs> but that leads me to the idea of the brain function. Because in a church where there's a strong heartbeat, where there's strong breathing and strong membership, there's almost always a strong brain function. And think about what the brain does. It processes information and it tells the body what to do. So in a church, that's looking at the leadership. And let me say it early on, I'm not going to be condemning churches that don't have elders. A church certainly does not have to have elders to be alive. A church doesn't have to be large to be alive. You know Anything like that can work. But I think it does need to have have some type of brain function or leadership. It needs to have direction, it needs to have goals, and it needs to have spiritual guidance, and the Bible tells us that. Attitude, though, starts at the top. Tone starts at the top. Work ethic starts at the top. The leaders set the example. So are the leaders still willing to learn? Do they get their hands dirty? Do they communicate with the congregation? I've attended a couple of churches where the leaders, they would walk in late or right at the start of service on a regular basis, and they would all stand around up front and figure out who was going to do what and talk about it, and ask you, what do you think that does to a congregation after a while? Well, I'll tell you one thing, a lot of the membership starts walking in late too, and those participating in the worship service are not very well prepared, and I ask you, does that create an environment of spiritual strength and growth? You know, it's not impossible, definitely, but it's more difficult. And does that make a good impression on our visitors? First Corinthians 14 and 40 says, let all things be done decently and in order. The leadership needs to see to those things. If they don't care about the worship service, no one else is going to either. Why should they? If the people the dock don't care, why are the members going to care? Because remember, the elder's duty is to oversee the flock, From a spiritual standpoint, we looked at earlier, Acts 20 and 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. If you know me or have been around me a little bit here and there, and I just talked about this a minute ago, I've never been very comfortable leading songs. And I've never really understood why, because I was in band all through junior high and high school. I read music. I read shape notes. I even used to know music theory. My sister's a high school band director. I used to do music stuff with her all the time. (sighs) But for some reason, I've never been very comfortable. I even used to direct all the time in high school and lead the drumline, all kinds of stuff. And I started thinking about this lesson. When I was a boy of about 15, I was asked to lead a song during the service. And I, at that point, had never led a song. And I had never seen anyone pitch a song at that time. I'd never been instructed in any way, and I really didn't know anything about leading an actual church song. But I got up there, and I tried and I led that song. And later, when the leadership asked me, he, he said, So, is that just the way your voice is or were you trying to sing low? And, you know, I was caught off guard and I didn't really know what to say. And that's just kind of the way it was. And he just goes, ha, Okay. And instead of talking with me about it, instead of giving me some pointers, instead of instructing me, instead of guiding me, instead of anything, he just walked away and didn't ask me to lead a song for years. And you know, do you think that helped me grow as a Christian? I really felt embarrassed, and I wasn't given any tools to be better in the future. And then I've been, you know, even when I was at that congregation later, when I knew I know more music, more about music than anybody in the room, I still wasn't even comfortable leading a song there. And that's not even rational, but I believe that that's probably why I've never been very comfortable leading songs. I think that was a lot of the effect that the leadership at that time had on me. But when I came here, And all of a sudden I saw young men up here leading songs and being taught, being instructed how to pitch songs, being encouraged and shown what to do. I realized, man, that is what I want to be a part of. That's what I want to see. That's a going congregation and that's how leadership should work. That congregation is alive because leadership should cultivate talent and leadership in others. They should be empowering people with the opportunity to work and become leaders and become teachers in their own rights. So the leadership then becomes more than just the elders it becomes others stepping up and following their example. Matthew 20 and 26 says, "Yet it shall not be so among you, but whosoever desires to become great among you let him be your servant. And whosoever desires to be first among you let him be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many." <clears throat> You should look around honestly and see servants working. And that is the result of a strong brain function. That is the result of good leadership. And that leads me to my next point, and that is growing. Because I think a church that is live should have growth. And I'm not just talking at all about physical numbers. If you see members becoming servants and working, then they are growing. If the members are growing, then the congregation. Is growing. A church should be growing in spiritual knowledge. It should be growing in faith. And we know Romans 10, 17, so faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It should also be growing in fellowship. It should grow in support of ministry and evangelize. It should grow in works and helping each other. First Peter 4 and verse 8 says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable one to another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards Of the manifold grace of God. And the church also should be growing in numbers, but it should grow from the outside, and it should also be growing organically from the inside, because when families are having their kids, if they're bringing them and they're growing up in God's word and in the love of God, then that is growth as well. And as you can see, all these things kind of have a tendency to work together. Good leadership teaches and educates the flock, which enables them to grow, which enables them to become a stronger heartbeat. So all these work together in the body. Ephesians 4 and 14 says that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That makes me think about when I was young, I hadn't sat through many sermons on just basic Christian living. I never seemed to see kind of a plan on what we were being taught or a lot of guidance on what was being in the pulpit and I just didn't hear a lot of basic Christian living sermons, and I needed those things, but I I sat through a lesson once on how fire ants were a plague sent by God to punish man. And there was another lesson once on the Pope's crown and the numbers and the symbols and what they added up to and what that meant in prophecy. So I wasn't very spiritually knowledgeable, and I wasn't growing as a young man in my Christian walk, and some of that was also certainly my fault. I should have been studying more. But then at that situation, at a young age, I was asked to give a Sunday morning sermon And I didn't receive any training. I didn't receive any instruction on how to preach. I didn't receive any guidance on maybe what to preach on or any thoughts on how to put together a sermon or collect and organize my thoughts. Somebody did ask me, one of the leaders asked me though, he said, so how are you gonna start off playing your sermon? I said, well, I guess I'll go to concordance and I'll look up words related to my topic. And he said, well, the first thing you need to do is pray, which was a good idea. And that was a good instruction, but that's all he said. And then he left me on my own with no other instructions. So I was a little lost, and I was a little nervous. Never having given a sermon before, or been in that situation, really. But there was someone at the congregation, there was an older woman, who some of y'all do know. She was probably 70 at the time, <laughs> and she, she approached me and talked with me, and quite a bit, and uh, she had really good words, and she could see kind of what I was going through, and she gave me this little book, and it was full of little sermon outlines. <laughs> and That meant so much to me, and I wish I had thanked her more and talked with her about it more, because I cherished that little book, and let me tell you, that got me through um, a lot of sermons early on, and that had a strong influence on me, and that was leadership. That helped me to grow, and I still have that little book in my library, but I don't think putting untrained kids in the pulpit is going to help a congregation to grow, and it didn't help me grow spiritually in faith or knowledge, and that congregation didn't grow after that either, I'll tell you that. One of the first things I was told when I joined here is that if you want to teach, you got to go through the teacher training with Ty and with Jerry and with the evangelists. And I thought, man, that's what I want to be part of: cultivating skills in those that want to teach, instead of forcing those who don't. And that helps a congregation to grow, and that encourages us all to grow as teachers. And when teachers are studying. They are growing. Then they're going home and they're talking about it with their wives and their kids are being influenced by. It. And families are growing, and then in turn congregations are growing, and it's just a snowball effect. And when I first started tending over Spring Creek, I was blown away when I saw Chase and Wayne and Aaron Huddleston and these young men teaching God's Word on a regular basis and doing it really well. And it motivated me, and I grew. And then Ty worked with us on public speaking and talked with us about it, and we became better. And the members we were growing. I attended another congregation for a while and and Rusty and I talked about this when we were out doing the door knocking because he had been in a very similar situation. But I was at a place and with very, very little effort, I could put together a sermon. And it was, I don't even know how to say this, but it was a really good sermon for them. But there were a lot of teachers there. And I'm not saying that to brag. I say that to point out that no one was working with any of those teachers. No one was guiding them. No one was giving them any instruction. And me individually... Do you think that helped me grow as a Christian? Did it motivate me or strengthen me? And you know, at first it did a little bit because I felt like my sermons were benefiting the congregation. But after a while, I realized and saw that there was very little other work being done. There was very little effort being put into the teaching and there was very little effort being put into uh, teaching us or guiding us or working with the speakers. So I got lazy, I'll be honest with you. I got lazy and I continued with the minimal effort lessons and my study declined and my faith withered. And I'll tell you right now, that congregation is not growing right now. And that brings me to my last point that I want to talk about this morning. I think of a living congregation or a congregation that's alive, I think that it interacts with its environment. Think about you personally. When we're sick, at least me for sure, when I'm sick, I kind of want to close myself off from things. I want to close myself off from other people. And a lot of times I want to go in the room, shut the door, turn off the lights, pull the covers over my head, and just lay there. I don't want to talk to people. And it's probably not a pretty picture. We stay home, we shut ourselves in. We think about someone that is depressed or someone that is emotionally sick or not doing well either. They do the same thing. They often turn help away. They don't want to talk to individuals. An animal towards the end of its life, its life often goes off on its own to be alone and away from other things. Not interacting with your environment is a sign of poor health and it's not good and I don't believe that it's good for a church either. I think that a church that is alive is involved with its members It's involved with other churches, and it's involved with its community. It helps others, and it spreads God's word. And I've seen the opposite, and it is not a good picture. Acts 2, beginning in verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people, And the Lord added to the church daily those who would be saved. See, that church, that group was alive. They were interacting with each other. They were interacting with their community, and they were growing. One congregation I attended, there was a new neighborhood right next to us. And we saw that as a chance to grow. I saw that as a chance to spread God's word. And a couple of us approached the leadership, and we just wanted to send out maybe a little card or something to the homes in that neighborhood, or maybe even just place them on their doors. And we asked them about that because we saw that opportunity. and We wanted to act. And they said, well, not really sure if we're ready for that. Maybe we can do that another time. And I don't know what they were waiting for. And I was at that congregation for several more years. And you know, when that time came, never, it never reached out to the community. And that same congregation, I was there for years and we never had a gospel meeting. They didn't embrace other congregations. They didn't interact with the community or try to attract new membership. In fact, I heard one of the elders once say, I'm not going to let anyone from another congregation come in here and influence what we do. And in his mind, I think he was protecting the congregation, but in reality, he was just hurting it. We were completely invisible to the public and nobody had any idea what we were doing. But right back when I started here full time, literally right afterwards, there was a two-week work going on. And at 43 years old, I had never knocked a door, and that is embarrassing, and that bothered me, and that was sad, so I signed up, and I went out with Clint Goodman, and didn't really know what I was going to get into, but I learned a lot, and I thought that is the kind of thing I want to be a part of, because the thing is, even if we strike out at every home, no one comes and visits, or no one comes and studies. It is still good for the congregation. It gets us out into the community where we're visible. It builds relationships between the members. It encourages people to step up and work. And it teaches responsibility. And it teaches us how to get out and evangelize and try to spread God's word. And it gets us out of our comfort zone. And that is something we all need. And that is what I want to be a part of. That's what a church that is alive, I think, should be doing. Romans 15 25 says, But now I'm going to Jerusalem to minister to the saints. For it pleased those from Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor among the saints who are in Jerusalem. It pleased them indeed, and they are their debtors. For the Gentiles have been partakers of their spiritual things. Their duty is also to minister to them in material things. See, Paul was taking money from different churches to help those in need in Jerusalem. They had taught them spiritual things, and they in turn were going to go take care of their physical needs. They weren't letting other members of the kingdom suffer. They were out there helping and working. Have you ever attended a congregation where you had absolutely no idea what they did with the collection? I did. And I was at a congregation and I know they did not support any evangelistic work. And about once every year or two, they would bring a need up from a member and they would ask for extra funds to help that member. And I thought, what are they doing with the collected funds every week? Because they weren't using it to spread God's word. They weren't helping other congregations and they weren't giving it back to those in need. So what I did, I didn't give them very much. And honestly, that was probably not the right thing to do. Looking back, I probably should have found a congregation that was active, helping others and doing the work, and I should have been mailing checks to them and giving them my support. That's what I should have done. So that was my fault. But when a congregation is not active, they're going to lose support monetarily, they're going to lose support physically, and the membership is not going to be active. I was in another congregation for several years, and we were small, and we were struggling. And on at least two different occasions that I know about, we had individuals from other congregations come in and talk to us and offer to help and work with us. And I thought, that sounds great. That's pretty neat. I was a young guy or younger. But the leadership told them, no, that we didn't need any help. And I don't really know why. You know, maybe it was pride. Maybe they were hiding something. I really don't know. But in denying others... They not only hurt our congregation, but they're robbing others of a chance to get out and do God's work. And I can tell you that congregation didn't get any healthier after that either. I think a congregation that is alive should be helping those in need, spreading God's word and interacting with the kingdom. Now, we here at College Park are not a perfect congregation. We have things to work on and all congregations do. And I didn't mean for this to be a sermon just to praise us in our efforts. But looking at my life and the places I've been, the things I've done and seen, I know that this is the congregation that I've chosen to be at. And it's the congregation that I want to be at right now. And I think that we do have a lot of things happening. And I think that we are alive. And if maybe you're attending a congregation that is not alive, think about that. If you're attending one that is, do not take it for granted. Sometimes we got to let the small things go and look at the bigger picture and appreciate all the work of the things that we we're doing. Because you may find yourself somewhere that's not, and it's a whole different story. And remember, it all starts with the heartbeat, which is the membership. We have to make sure that we are steady, that we are consistent, that we are dependable, and that we are always working like that heartbeat. So what does a church that's alive look like? It has a heartbeat and it's breathing. I the members are spiritually engaged. They're using their gifts to be active. They're working in the function of the church and activities, and they're doing things for the right reasons, remembering their first love. It also has brain function, meaning there's a plan, there's goals, there's strong examples of service. The leaders have the right attitude and they care about the membership, they care about the work that's happening, and there's spiritual guidance and there's teaching. A church that's alive is growing. The members are growing in their service, the members are growing in their knowledge, relationships hopefully are growing amongst the people, they're growing in their works as a church, they're growing in their ability to spread God's word, and hopefully they're growing physically in numbers. And a church that's alive also interacts with its environment it's involved with its members it's involved with other churches and it's involved with the community outdoing god's work so what you can see as we talked about that hopefully that all these pieces are related they all work together and if all of these things are happening ultimately what you will see is that a church that is alive changes lives you'll see broken hearts mended you'll see families strengthened and you'll see lives changed And I hope that you've attended a church that's changed your life because I know this one has certainly changed mine.